question. Does enlightenment mm. on this understanding means to bring the understanding of openness, of emptiness, yes. to each and every situation in life, mm. and to see that yes. it's just a construct what I do, mm. what others do, and to look through a certain situation and to see always in this situation this huge openness? I see. It's n not really. The, uh, the key, I mean, the, the, the critical w wisdom, shall we say, is seeing in such a way that it's not problematic. So, I as a human being, whoever I am, at times, due to inner life, and, and he actually goes into it here, it's, a, it's such a good point that you made. Um, he refers to the profound, profound experiences of a sense of infinite space and infinite consciousness, these realms of exp uh, experiences. So sometimes we feel extraordinarily open. I mean, extraordinarily open. Like, as open as open can be. It's beautiful sense and feeling. Human beings love to feel open and bright. And it's a lovely feeling and sense. But it requires lots of conditions to, to feel that. We were listening to the lovely talk earlier on. I thought, my goodness, I must have spent some time preparing it as well. The, of all the different kind of energies and how they affect our feeling of being open, etc. Sometimes, I, whoever I am, including myself here, I don't feel, you know, especially, wow, you know, open in that way. But just attending to the ordinary, everyday, mundane things of life, and just doing what one needs to do in the convention, the core thing is it, it doesn't feel problematic. I don't feel especially open, but it's not problematic. So the Dharma of the Buddha is not giving huge emphasis on some sense of infinite consciousness or huge sense of great space or being open. There's an acknowledgement that with the movement of, and the interaction of the five aggregates, you don't always feel incredibly open or incredibly kind or incredibly this, that or the other. But it's not problematic. It's only, it's only you know, the first noble truth is there are problems in life and they can be dissolved. And that's <laughs> enough of a lifetime. Yeah, and I think it's a much healthier attitude than having any kind of expectation on myself that I should always feel totally open. I don't know anybody who can be like that. Yeah. One question in that context. Mm. This question you raised before, which I raised as well, who does it and why do we do it? Isn't that just academic and obsolete because it just makes too big a thing out of it if we go into these questions mm. wondering about it how and why and, and when? And just mm. Instead of just seeing how things are and not making mm. problems. Is it helpful and is it skillful? And for some, according to the to our inner response asking what's going on here how is this like this or what is this or who's doing this or, or whatever for some
can be a really valuable, important question. What is this understanding that can uh, come? And for uh, others, it would feel more like an intellectual question or uh, an abstract or a theoretical who or how or why or whatever. And this isn't helpful. So we've got to listen into ourselves here and say, look, here's some beautifully profound things which help simultaneously for me to realize the limitation of my conventional view born out of my inner life and the possibility of a realizing and really understanding how things are when my personal story is not in the event if we call it ultimately how things are ultimately and that's the core message in this discourse can we, that we can understand non-conceptually the way things are ultimately when we put our conventional personal story and interpretation aside it is something and we have a little taste of this when we're feeling really open we're having a taste of how things really are when we're feeling really connected, we're having a taste of how things are. It's not like this ultimate nature of things is completely alien and foreign to us. We, we, we have a taste, as the Buddha said, you have a, the, the taste of water in, um, on the end of a leaf and the taste in a huge pure lake, not many left these days of course, pure lake is exactly the same taste taste of water is the same whether we have a little taste or a big taste of it it's the same taste so we, we, this taste is not foreign to us you know, we, 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 we know what it is to feel undisturbed and truly and truly <coughs> conscious and connected we, we, know, we know what the taste is like that. we know what it is when there's no such thing going on called a problem it's not like it's only for some sage living in Rishikesh or something. <laughs> in some interactions I've, I've had with people from the Zen, because this very easily, this insight, I think, can turn into a strategy yes. to defend against criticism. Which strategy? Which insight? This, this insight, well, insight, or even if it's just in your case, it seems to be a true insight. But if it's more theoretical <laughs> understanding, it so. can very easily turn into a strategy. Yes. By always talking about emptiness, and oh, yes. emptiness and non-duality oh, yeah, yeah. and so mm. on, mm. to defend against criticism. Oh yeah. And what kind of criticism? And well, like well as soon as you analyze particular events and their yeah. causes. You know, especially if it's certain situations as there are or so. Yeah. And you are very much thinking along the lines of cause and effect. Ah, uh, right. Which are conventionally, conventionally yeah. valid. Yeah, exactly. Right? And that, if that is uncomfortable for the person, yes. he can use the philosophy of emptiness yeah. as a means to defend against. Yeah. To mm -hmm. not look at mm -hmm. certain mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. 
to mm. it's my personal subjective impression I sometimes get so I think yeah. uh, there is a danger <laughs> in uh, <coughs> emphasizing it, it too strong and that's where wisdom and skillful means really matter a great deal I agree completely with you and therefore we're not here to dismiss the, um, the relativity of things in some kind of uh, gross way because the relative is the revelation of the ultimate it is its confirmation it's not a separate from it and I, I what, what I <coughs> sense you know and, and do agree with you that where there is some kind of identification with the ultimate you know or defense or resistance to criticism in the listening to the person and we agree with the slideshow today I think is a good example of it that there's a certain tightness that we pick up and when I you say talk with Ajahn Buddhadasa who I you know, kind of love and revere uh, greatly he just talked about emptiness Void, the void, voidness, as he would call it, he preferred to uh, call it. But I didn't pick up from him resistance to mm. criticism. I didn't pick up from him a kind of view which felt kind of restrictive and tight. Because somehow the expression of the being, of the person, of the language, of the manner of emptiness or ultimate or vast openness came through with it and those whether it's Zen or whether it's Advaita or whether it's any other, any other Dzogchen or whether it's in the Vipassana world or whatever the world is one picks up one feels that the person may be saying the right things but you feel there's a tightness around it there and when there's a tightness around it, then there will be resistance to criticism or resistance to looking into areas of the conventional world. And I think we've just got to say, okay, we just to acknowledge that. There may be some insights, not to say the person doesn't have any insight. There may be some important insight, but there may be some identification and grasping that's going with it. And any grasping will lead to resistance. Mm -hmm. Tested for all of us. Just this uh, nice verse from Nagarjuna, in the translation of Stephen Batchelor, saying something Buddha's teach emptiness is the relinquishing of opinions. Yes. Um, believers in emptiness are incurable. And the other one which comes to my mind is emptiness is only a pragmatic convention to describe the world. This we call the middle way. There's a key, f uh, key mm. term. It's, it's a means, an instrument to understand the world. Yeah. It's never apart from the world. No. As a concept in itself. Exactly. It's the way we should look at the world. Yeah. Through the eyes of emptiness. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or as the Abnaga Juna said, is a kind of high priest of all of this, <laughs> that emptiness that if we don't understand it don't understand it 
uh, it's to be seen as a kind of medicine to dissolve the confusions, the views, the opinions, the clinging, uh, etc. But if we don't understand it, he says it's like taking a medicine and you swallow it, but the medicine doesn't dissolve. It ends up making you sick. When, in a way, I don't want to stretch this too much, to see the emptiness of emptiness. <laughs> Concept. That means make no concept of emptiness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When we do, as Hans said, there'll be resistance, division, duality. To come back to the earlier point, if the concept we used it morning, noon and night in here as friends, it would easily go from a concept which is grasped upon. And as I said earlier, a little bit of a skillful means of the Buddha is one doesn't get too much use of the same concept for the ultimate, for ultimate things. You keep switching the words. Mm. Mm. It's very skillful. Very, very, very wise. More than 30 of them. <laughs>